everyone. I'm Christine Blanchette, the host of the Run With It podcast. I interview medical professionals, registered dietitians, chefs, and celebrities who follow a healthy lifestyle. And for those who are making a difference in the world, thanks for listening. Joining me is Dr. Lucas McMillan, who is a naturopathic physician and clinical director of the Delbrook Integrative Medical Center. And he's back on the show to talk about sleep hygiene part two. Welcome back, Dr. McMillan. Hello again, Christine. Yes, I'm excited to be here and have even more of a conversation on this important topic. Yes, I can't believe that we talked about sleep hygiene in May 2020. It's been that long. Two years flies by, especially in this uh, really interesting world we're living in right now. And uh, definitely seeing more concerns relating to sleep uh, before some of these events. So it feels very relevant. And honestly, we just cannot prioritize this stuff enough. So I'm very happy to be going there again. Yeah. So making sleep an important priority, like eating well and getting enough exercise. So Dr. McMillan... How important, I mean, I hear about getting eight hours of sleep. I mean, do some people need more or less? Yeah, it, it really is quite varied. Um, by far, the vast majority of us, it's somewhere around that, so somewhere between seven to eight, give or take. Um, there was a, a group of people or experts in the sleep field who came together and tried to make some guidelines on this topic. And basically, um, most of the negative effects that we saw from the lack of sleep tended to happen at seven hours or less. So I think that's great to have these guidelines to say, if you're getting less than this, we really should have a deeper look because it might be directly affecting you. But the truth is, in my opinion, every person is different. And I have some patients that if they sleep more than seven hours or more than six hours, they actually feel worse. There's a bit of a sweet spot for their body and their system. If they go beyond that, it seems to actually take away from their energy and cause negative effects. So most of us are familiar with that oversleeping phenomenon and just how we feel if we really put in more sleep time than what our body needs. It, it really doesn't feel good and can actually be more exhausting feeling than undersleeping. So there is a sweet spot and that shortest answer I to that is we need to experiment. If you feel better sleeping more, you should probably sleep more. Um, <laughs> if you experiment and find that sleeping another half hour, hour makes you feel worse, there's a good chance that isn't what you need. Mm. And, you know, so, so there are risks of not sleeping. Um, and what about people who, who are raising a family, who do shift work, um, or for people who just can't sleep? They've been doing it for years. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a, a few different pieces to that. Um, I guess I'll start with the people with the family. Um, so if children... Uh, animals or something external to you is really the primary reason they're having trouble sleeping. The options are very different um, versus, say, shift workers or somebody else that were just trying to sort of change their sleep patterns and have their unusual pattern work as well for them as possible. Um, I have kids. I have uh, right now a two and a four year old, uh, two daughters that are not always sleeping through the night and definitely make things a little bit more exciting. So I have some personal experience and certainly some patient experience here. Um, sometimes the best thing we can do is to try to create habits for everyone. And I actually love talking about kids along the lines of sleep because I think that 
children, uh, basically any age of child, do a really good job of showing us what's important throughout our entire lives. For example, uh, my two-year-old, especially, but my four-year-old as well, if we have her on a fairly disciplined, relatively strict sleep schedule for when to go to sleep, roughly when to wake up, um, she is much happier throughout the day. She's much more likely to fall asleep fairly quickly and much more likely to stay asleep. And I, I love bringing that up to people because we generally know that kids need some kind of structure, but really everybody in the family, including us adults, and regardless of age, that structure really, really does serve as well when we're relating it to sleep. So sometimes addressing the family with that kind of structure and just helping to put up as much um, boundary and predictability as we can around that sleep schedule can help people to fall asleep a little bit more reliably, to stay asleep a little bit better. Um, being aware of other things like chocolate um, that contains a little bit of caffeine in it, some people are really sensitive to that. Uh, whether you're older or even if you're giving a youngster, say, chocolate before bed, that might be going directly against your goals of having them fall asleep and stay asleep. So, we always want to look at that as if there's something else that's waking us up, what can we do about that? And honestly, we can't be perfect. It's not going to be 100%. Aiming for improvement and having a good day, five days out of the week if possible, is you know is, is a really good goal for a lot of people I see. Mm -hmm. So going on to some of the other folks, um, shift work is a whole other kind of animal to deal with. And my biggest goal is trying to get people to fall asleep and stay asleep around the same time per day changes quite a bit with shift work. So um, that's uh, one of the cases where I very often lean on a very low dose of melatonin. And again, it's, it's hard to say what's right for people when I'm talking broadly through a podcast. So I can't just recommend everybody try this, but it is publicly available. And this is something you can purchase off the shelves. And if you do so, highly recommend getting a very low dose, somewhere around half a milligram or one milligram um, is much closer to what the brain normally produces at night versus the six and 10 milligrams you can buy off the shelf that I really think are, are not helping us in the sleep realm. Mm. But trying to develop a schedule that one hour before sleep is where we can start to train our body to get ready to go to bed, to get ready to turn off, and sort of create all the changes that need to happen before we fall asleep. So that applies to everyone, but I find that's especially important to shift workers where there's a relative chaos in the rest of their schedule because they might be days, they might be evenings, they might be nights. And there's very often jumping back between and back and forth between all these. So building that habit and structure before bed and then potentially using something like melatonin to help to retrain that sleep schedule a little bit faster and get us used to it a little bit faster can, can often be helpful and potentially help us to fall asleep a little bit faster. Yes. And what about teas? Yeah. So, yeah, awesome. Uh, Many of the sweet remedies out there that are publicly available aren't really well known or really talked about, at least from the sources that I've seen. So it's really interesting. There is research on a number of things like passion flower, chamomile. Um, there really are actually quite a few. And then, of course, there's combination products that have a lot of these. So like anything else, I can't just say just go use it. But like most publicly available things, um, the safety profile of them really is quite good. Um, they very nearly fall into the food category, meaning the risk is extremely low. So I, I do think a lot of people have benefit from trying these if falling asleep or even staying asleep are an issue. So yeah, absolutely. I think that that's, there's a huge place for 
before that. Um, if you if a person is on medications, especially antidepressants, anti-anxiety medicine, kind of similarly um, uh, mental, emotional, impactful medication, um, the chance of it interacting with some of these herbs is a little bit higher. So definitely want to shout practitioners when they step into that realm. But well, I'm also a big fan of the, the teas and the herbal treatments. It's not something I recommend a huge amount, um, but certainly if we have somebody that um, wants to trial that route, um, I definitely see successes there. And I have a number of patients that just, as we talk about the role of self-experimentation, and here's some of the things that we should try, that is definitely on the list of things that I've seen help quite a few people, and I really think it's worthwhile to, to dive into. It's much safer and much less um, potentially negative than some of the sleep medications. So it, in my opinion, should definitely be tried long before that. Yes, and do do some test driving, right? You know, it's like if you, you know, just just see how how you're feeling, right? And what role does alcohol play, Dr. McMillan? Yeah, so alcohol is something that is really commonly consumed in our world. Um, it is a depressant, which means it takes our wakefulness or that you know wakeful mm. brain activity and decreases it and changes it a little bit. And that's really important because when we're asleep our brain does not turn off. It's actually very much the opposite. It's very active when we're asleep. It's just a very different kind of activity. So alcohol, although it does take away that wakefulness, it actually doesn't put us into that sleeping category. So it can make you tired, especially if you have a certain amount of it. But our brain's ability to go through the very active stage of sleep where it heals, where it helps things like blood pressure and cholesterol and energy and blood sugars and all of the benefits of sleep, it can't fully go there while there's alcohol in the system. Mm-hmm. So I have a number of patients that just will not give up their say, their glass of wine before sleep or um, similar things before bed, that shot of whiskey or whatever it is that mm-hmm. that person, for whatever reason, is somewhat attached to. Um, I've had some success by moving it earlier in the night. So you can still have it. In a perfect world, we wouldn't drink alcohol, but realistically, that's not where the vast majority of people live. You can decrease a lot of the negative effects, especially on sleep, by having it earlier in the day, such as with dinner. So it gives our body some time to get that out of the system. So by the time you go to sleep, the brain is relatively clear and able to fully go into that sleep mode that is so regenerative and can really help to repair so many parts of the body. Mm. So, yeah. So, you know, have a, a glass of wine, for example, around dinner time and and maybe that piece of chocolate, too. Yeah, yeah, it, it can be a good thing. And again, that, that chocolate, uh, depending on how sensitive somebody is, it's a very small amount of caffeine in most pieces of chocolate. But some people really do notice a difference if we do a bit of a trial. Mm. So um, if we're trying to really hit it hard, if that's somebody who's really having trouble sleeping, sometimes we'll try everything. I mean, we'll decrease the stimulation two hours before bed. We'll cut out all sources of caffeine, including chocolate, um, basically after noon. Um, Sometimes we'll trial with the tea, sometimes we'll trial with other supplements. In extreme cases, we start trying medication. But um, decreasing all of that can be helpful. Most people don't need to go that aggressively. So usually we can get away with that chocolate before bed um, or later on in the day. But um, in a perfect world, we'd probably try to move that a little bit earlier so that we also don't have the blood sugar changes and potential spikes or drops while we sleep. But I always like to stress that every person is different. So there's a lot of recommendations that we have, but if I was to line you up and say 12 recommendations, 
maybe there'll be three that really have a significant impact on you. And that's where things get a little bit complicated is your three top things might be very different than my top three things, which might be very different than the next person's. So that experimentation has to play a role at some point. But mm -hmm. on average, the biggest bang for the buck and almost across the board, alcohol before bed did not help. I can very clearly see that. Um, you know, some of the recreational drugs, um, marijuana is kind of an interesting one that's um, a little bit harder to comment on, to be honest, but um, other recreational drugs um, mm -hmm. certainly aren't helping us sleep. So um, I, I do think that perspective of all of these, we should take it more seriously, but just keep in mind that sometimes things that really affect other people don't affect us, and caffeine can fall into that role. I have some patients that if they drink caffeine, it seems to make them more tired. I don't recommend them to do that, but it, it, it does affect everybody quite differently. Yes. And, you know, in our last podcast, you mentioned um, from understanding setting an alarm for you to go to bed, you know, for us to go to bed. So, for example, like, you know, setting an alarm to go to bed, in other words, um, that helps. It helps having some sort of structure, right, is um, it's, it's imperative. Absolutely. Well, and it's it's kind of the proof that you're prioritizing sleep. Mm. Because really, we prioritize waking up for whatever our job is or whatever it is that wakes us up in the morning. Or if you're like myself, let's say you have a day off, um, your kids are going to wake you up anyway. So, and at a little bit of an unpredictable time. So knowing that something is going to wake us up pretty reliably in most people's lives, having that time to go to sleep is really the best thing we can do to prioritize it and to say, we're going to set aside eight hours. It has to start at a certain time because we know that at the very latest, we're going to wake up, say, at 8 or at 6 or whatever time our job requires us to get up, possibly earlier if our kids wake us up and, and there may be other disturbances. So many, many, many of the people that I see don't prioritize that sleep time. They're going to go until their Netflix show ends, until their movie's over, until they're finished reading the exciting part of the book, or until they feel tired. Mm. And those all can be fun and you know, maybe it's helping them to balance their stress throughout the day. That might be one of the major stress outlets. But the cost often isn't worth it. We can often get the benefit of both. But, you know, let's watch that show earlier. Let's change the processes around a little bit. We don't have to deprive people of what they love to prioritize sleep. It, it's very rare that I find those two really do conflict with each other. It's just sometimes we have to reorganize it. So, yes. yeah, that prioritizing and the alarm is just, um, I've actually had some people that work with their smart home devices, like say Google, and uh, program their TVs or whatever devices to turn off at whatever their bedtime is, so that it just happens, and you don't really have a arbitrary time where, okay, sometime in the next hour, maybe I'll fall asleep. Well, no, you have a very set time. And it allows your body to develop that schedule and that inner habit for when to fall asleep. So your body can start producing melatonin at the right time, so it can start winding itself down. So I, I mean, in the last podcast as well, we, I really harp on that habit and creating some kind of predictable routine that your body can latch on to so that it knows when it's time to fall asleep, it knows when it's time to wake up, and it can go through the processes to make that work a little bit better. Mm -hmm. So going to bed at the same time, getting up at the same time, setting an alarm, you know, just, you know, for you to go to bed and also, um, you know, you know, limiting your, you know, shutting off your phone, um, screen time, don't bring the phone with you into the bed, <laughs> bedroom. Um, 
and you know and that and then what are what some other tips dr mcmillan yeah so um some of those are my favorites for sure um i do like the blue light blockers mm. on phones and i believe we don't that decently on the last one just basically about an hour before bed basically all smartphones these days have some kind of blue light blocker or night shift or using an apple device um where you can schedule in a decrease in blue light exposure so the phone still works um, or your iPad, or you can even program some TVs this way now, so that an hour before bed, your body will get a signal from those devices if they're being used that it's bedtime soon. So we can start to latch on to that. But yeah, mm -hmm. certainly having your, your brightness full blast and staring at it right before bed isn't going to be helpful. Um, what I personally find to actually be more impactful for most people is paying attention to things that are stimulating before bed. So easy way to judge that is if what you're doing gets your heart rate up before bed, say give or take within that hour before bed. It is not helping you to fall asleep, it's not helping you to stay asleep, and it could be otherwise decreasing the quality of sleep that you're having. Mm. So sexual activity doesn't seem to fall into this, and it's a very cruel thing the body has built in that whatever kind of sexual activity that gets the heart rate up before bed doesn't likely have a negative impact on sleep. So we get a little bit of a buy on that one, and a, a free pass, so to speak. <laughs> But um, aside from that, um, if you're reading a book and that book is getting your heart rate up, um, let's say it's inspirational material, um, honestly, even some people that um, choose to read their Bible before bed, or if they're reading a really intense action, just action-packed um, book that they can't put down, those are very fun things to do, but they're also very stimulating. And when you notice your heart rate up from these things, um, say you're inspired or say you're scared or say you're excited, all of those changes end up leading to an adrenaline, like a miniature adrenaline dump. That's the way that your body gets heart rate up is by releasing adrenaline. And adrenaline does not help us to sleep. So trying to have that wind down period. Ideally, we're, say, we're brushing our teeth in the dark before bed, slowly turning the lights down. Like, again, basically all the things that we would think of doing for our kids, if our kids were having trouble winding down, decrease stimulation and help things to soothe and calm, maybe a warm bath or whatever it is that your nighttime routine is, try to have something that is enjoyable and that you're able to do in the longer longer term so we can actually develop that habit and tell the body when to turn off. Yes, like easy listening music, for example, could be really yeah. help you, you know, get some sleep. And you know, exercise can also help you sleep better, correct, Dr. McMillan? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and, uh, really interesting. When you dive into the, uh, the studies back and forth on that, when you exercise, on average, people will sleep better. Um, there is a link. It's not perfect. It's not amazingly strong, but it, it does seem to be one of the helpful things. And I can say, like anything else, some patients seem to do way better with this than others. Um, oh, interesting. Actually, I've had a, some as well that switched their type of exercise. Um, so one girl comes to mind who just loves aerobic activity. And she started to switch her system around to more of an anaerobic uh, resistance training. So she's still going for her runs and still basically doing her standard training. But she started to decrease that a bit and replace it with some weights and found that that pretty drastically changed her ability to stay asleep, which was her particular issue. So, again, experimentation is the easiest way to know, but it's worth a shot. And so many of these changes are healthy changes that we can make anyway. So if they didn't help us with sleep, if for whatever reason that wasn't, you know, our top three things that make a big difference for us, 
it still helps your health in other ways. So it's absolutely worth experimenting with regardless. Yes. And there's so many benefits of getting a good night's sleep. You have more energy. Uh, <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, our, our mental resilience is clearly higher. Um, some really cool information that suggests if we are sleep deprived, even in a minor way, but of course, the more severe the sleep deprivation, the more intense this effect, people become more anxious and they tend to see the same events in a much more negative light. So um, one of the ways we looked at this is we showed people very neutral pictures, like the faces of people that have a very neutral expression. And the more tired we were, the more we saw it as negative or angry or kind of a sneer type of look that just isn't really accurate to the picture. So it was a really cool kind of look at how we have subtle changes in how we perceive the world if we're behind on sleep. And uh, mm. talking about the, the benefits beyond that, one of the really common things that I see, um, some people have really strong sugar cravings and are having trouble controlling weight. One of the first things I love to go after if people are having trouble with either of these things is how well you're sleeping because we have really good documentation showing that if you are not sleeping well, you will crave more simple carbohydrates and more sugars than people who are sleeping well. And mm. if we can help you to sleep better, that that will improve. So it, there's a really huge crossover there. And further, if you're not sleeping well, your body's ability to handle sugars that you do consume goes down. You can actually have people who have blood work that looks diabetic or borderline diabetic while they're not sleeping well that immediately improves when they start sleeping better. Um, we have short-term studies where we deprive people of sleep and their blood sugar control gets worse within that first week. Like it's incredibly fast how, and how powerful some of this stuff is. So the lack of prioritization of sleep in our world, I think is directly leading to some of the struggles that we're having. You know, if you want to improve your diet, if you want to improve your exercise routine, if you want to get more out of your exercise routine and say, do better for that run or build up in your sport, um, or even just concentrate better for work and life. Sleep is a huge part of that. And at the very least, we should try to strive to get that regular, you know, at least seven hours for the vast majority of us. Yeah, so sleep is a priority. Make it a priority. And if, you know, people want more information, Dr. Millen, where can they reach you? Yeah, uh, my the clinic that I'm working uh, with and running is the Delbrook Integrative Medical Center uh, North Vancouver. Uh, we have our website, delbrookintegrative.com. I've actually started um, adding a little bit more information onto that. So there's we're gradually expanding that and hoping to make that a little bit of a information powerhouse over time. Uh, personal website is drlucasmack.com. So that's more specifically about me and some of the things that I offer and some of the articles I wrote so kind of at the beginning of my career. We're trying to try to bridge all of those together. But uh, we're definitely around. There's a lot of great information online and, and podcasts such as this one. So it's, it really is worth a look. And I'm a huge proponent that people are better served by looking up information and being a little bit informed versus completely not going there and just putting your responsibility on somebody else. I'd rather mm -hmm. people get a little bit of bad information, a little bit of good information. Than none at all. So it really is worthwhile to take a look yourself if you're able and if you have the energy to do so. If not, probably focus on sleep first. Yes, and thank you very much for being a guest again. And I love for you to come back, Dr. McMillan. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I have fun every time and we, we tend to cover some topics that are really near and dear to my heart. And I, I 
personally think are so important for health and so just undervalued in our world. And talking about sleep isn't the sexiest topic we could possibly have. And I, I'd love to change that. It really leads to better life quality, better health. Everything about it is sexy. It's, it's a really good thing. So thanks for the outlook. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. I'm Christine Blanchett, the host of the Run With It podcast. If you have a question or wish to reach me, go to my website, which is runwithit.ca. Until next time, run with it.